Hello. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's still morning. Good morning, Center Point Church. Good to see you guys here today. Uh, my name is Donovan. I'm one of the pastors here at Center Point, and I have the honor of bringing the message today. And I am super excited to share with you what God has been putting on my heart. And so uh, we are in a series right now called One, and we're talking about, or we're, we're better yet, we're answering the question, what does it mean to be unified as a body of Christ? And I think this is a very, very important thing to talk about. I think Jesus is addressing this kind of like a symptom, right? So when you go to the doctors to get like a checkup, you know, he's like, everything looks good, you know, uh, but you may want to get to this before it gets, to, you know, worse, right? So we as a church at Centerpoint, we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. That is our mission. And so, but here's the thing. If we allow division to come into the church, I think it'll make it very difficult for us to accomplish the mission God has for us. Amen? So we're going to be addressing and talking about this today. I'm super excited. I hope we have some fun today. And uh, I want to dive right in. But before we do, I want to go ahead and pray for this time together. So Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, this moment belongs to you. This, this moment, this service, everything that we did from worship to the greeting outside to the blue tables to this moment right now, God, and everything after, it belongs to you. God, I pray that you would fill the gaps in which I'm not as articulate as I wish I could be, God, but you're going to fill the gaps because your word says that as your son is lifted up and Satan is casted out, you will draw all people to your word, to your presence, to yourself, to your heart. So that's what we're believing for here today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. All right. I'm excited. It's going to be good. You guys excited to be here today? All right. Yeah, it's 1130 a.m. You guys had breakfast. You had coffee. So let's, let's get to it, okay? So unity. What does it mean to be unified? Now, I know a lot of us are looking for unity in our marriages. A lot of us are looking for unity in our families right now. A lot of us are looking for unity in our relationships. Uh, those of you who are business owners, you're, you're trying to figure out how in the world you're going to get unity in your businesses right now. It's not making it easy for us right now. So a lot of us, whether you are aware of it or not, we're looking for that unity to be connected with one another. And so let's take a look at what the Bible says about unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions, <laughs> one more time, no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind united in thought and purpose. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at God. I'm not laughing at the scriptures. But we think about no divisions. That sounds like a very distant idea right now, right? Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 says, Then make me truly happy by <laughs> agreeing wholeheartedly <laughs> with each other. Loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. I can't remember the last time I agreed wholeheartedly with anybody, right? I mean, how often are you in conversations when you're like, yep, I agree whole every single thing you said? I agree wholeheartedly, right? I mean, if anything, I could be a little passive aggressive when I get in arguments and say, yeah, whatever, you're right, cool. But I'm still not agreeing wholeheartedly. And so, I mean, you try to give, get a group of people in one room to make one decision, you'll be there for hours, right? So I have a couple of fun facts for you guys, okay? So there are 7 billion people in the world, 330 million people in the United States. Some of you are uh, on Google fact-checking me right now. These are rough estimates, okay? <laughs> 40 million people in California, roughly about 114,000 people here in Marietta Valley. And I want to say, what, uh, seven, 600 of you here today, maybe? 
something around there. And then maybe another 2 million of you watching online. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know how many people are watching online. But so out of, I don't know, 500, I don't know how many of you are here today, but I've, out of every single person in the room right now, do you think that I could get you to wholeheartedly agree with me that Cane's is better than Chick-fil-A? Wow, there's a lot more of you who like Cane's more. Last service, I got booed off the stage almost. Boo! How about Target is better than Walmart? That's like every service so far. No offense to any of you who work at Walmart, okay? Okay, how about this? Dogs, hands down, are better than cats. I am so surprised every service at how many people don't like cats or just like dogs better. That's amazing to me. Okay, this last one. How about the Lakers are the best team in the NBA right now? Oh, I got some booze. Yeah. Someone's even shaking their head. No, I love it. Okay, so here's my point. We can laugh and have a good time talking about Lakers and talking about, you know, Canes versus Chick-fil-A. But when we try to have conversations about more deeper issues that are happening right now, we're about ready to strangle each other. Right? We start talking about public health. Do you feel how, like, it went from laughter to just... Tension, you can cut it with a knife. Everyone's like, what is he about to say right now? But when we start talking about public health, racism, sexual orientation, and gender, we're about ready to go at war with one another, right? Somebody says something that you don't agree with or someone else doesn't agree with, instead of dialogue and and conversation, it's explosions. And it's happening here in the church. Okay, so now the, the world, I mean, there's, there's been issues. There's been divisions in the world, okay? It's happened since the beginning of time. But what did we just read a couple seconds ago? It says, let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind and united in purpose. Why is that? Because the church actually is called the ecclesia, okay? You know that the church is not just a building that we're in. It's actually a, a movement of people. Did you know that? The church is a collective of people, one mind, one purpose, to glorify God, advancing his kingdom. And ecclesia also, if you read it in the Greek, actually means to be out of the systems of the world. Did you know that? Ecclesia, the church, out of the systems of the world and into the purpose of the kingdom. That's the church. And so here's what happens, though. If we find ourselves in a position of disagreement with someone, instead of stepping into unity, we step out of unity and into silos and division. It's human nature. It's kind of what we do, right? You know, you don't agree with me. I'm going to go over to this group who does agree with me. You're wrong. I'm right. Right? That's kind of what we end up doing. The division then creates a gap in trust in which there is no more communication. That's basic enemy tactics 101. Disable the enemy's communication. Don't let them talk to each other. No more communication leads to resentment. How many of us have been there? Right, you get into a falling out with a best friend, and then there's a gap in communication. All of a sudden, there's resentment, and you're like, "Oh, I, they're talking about me. I just know it." And they're probably not really talking about you, but you fill your head with these ideas and assumptions. Oh, they hate. Oh, they're doing this. Oh, I can't believe them. Come on, don't look at me like that. How many of you guys have been there? Come on, we could be honest in church. And eventually, resentment left unchecked can lead to hostility. Us versus them mentality. And doesn't that sound a lot like what we're seeing in the news and in the world right now? We're right. You're wrong. What are you talking about? You're crazy. There's, no, there's not even room for conversation anymore. Have you guys noticed that? Nobody will even open up a dialogue or a conversation. It's just instant emotion, instant explosion. 
and just division instantly. You see how fast, especially during the beginning of 2020, the year that shall not be named. In the beginning of 2020, I just saw division, just even in myself, too. Here I am up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, upset with a Facebook post on my wall about how someone disagrees with my theology about Jesus, and I'm up at night, and I'm upset, and there's resentment, and I'm mad, and we're going back and forth. I'm like, what am I doing? What is happening right now? Why did I? There's no conversation. It's just instant explosion. We find ourselves easily falling into this trap, but God has called his church to be unified. And so I want to say this, did you know that it is okay to be in a relationship or to have conversation with someone who doesn't think like you? Right? Deep breath, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Some of you are thinking about that person that you're having an issue with right now. Yeah, it's okay. Actually, let them come into your mind right now. That's the Holy Spirit. It's okay to have dialogue and conversation with someone who doesn't look like you or think like you or talk like you. It's okay to have conversation. Why? Because God's church is a diverse church. Did you know that? God's church is a diverse church. Different cultures, different backgrounds, different styles. It's okay. It's a part of what makes this church beautiful as well. And so I want to share a story with you guys. I think uh, last time I preached, I shared this, a story of uh, when I was in Swaziland, Africa, when I was 15 years old, and I shared about the orphanage. Well, a part of that trip, we actually went to a church out in Swaziland, Africa. And I'll tell you right now, that church experience looked a lot different than what we have right now. <laughs> I mean, right now, we got comfortable seats, air conditions on, the lighting is all nice. It's all, like, nice and dark out there and moody, you know? It's all nice and cool. I mean, come on, we got a water fountain outside with flowers growing around it. Like, this is a beautiful campus, that was not the case in that church service we were at in Africa. We were in a tent, and we were, there's 500 of us, and we were shoulder to shoulder. It was hot, smelled terrible in there. Everybody was sweating, you know, and the, there was no floor. It was just dirt. It was tent on dirt. That's exactly what it was. And I remember complaining. I was complaining so much. You know, the dirt was flaring up. My allergies were getting all crazy. And I'm just like, God, it's hot. I'm sweating. It smells in here. And then also, too, during that time when I was 15, I went to a church that was kind of similar to this. So we had the same kind of lights and and awesome instruments and everything. And so when I looked at their worship team, I began to judge their worship team. And I'm like, dang, I'm in the flesh right now. But I just kept going for it. I kept complaining. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, worship team. You know, like this guy had a little Casio keyboard with speakers on it. And the other dude had a drum that didn't look like he bought it. It looked like he made it right before service was kind of thrown together. So I'm I'm sitting there like, oh, they got janky instruments. Like, oh my gosh, this, and I'm complaining. I have never been so quickly um, humbled in my life. The moment they begin to sing, I felt the presence of God. They begin to sing with one heart, one voice up, and they were singing in Swahili in their language, and they were just going for it. And the presence of God, it overtook me. I was just sitting there, and I even took a couple steps back. Because I'm like, I'm standing in the presence of God. It was the most beautiful response and expression of worship I have ever heard in my life. I couldn't understand what they were saying, but I knew who they were singing to. I knew who they were singing to. Another story, I was in France, Paris, France in uh, 2018. Uh, So same thing, worship was going on. It was awesome, you know. And uh, I'm a little bit older now, so my complaints are a little less, you know, not gone, just a little less, you know. (laughs) And so they're worshiping, you know, and they're going for it. It was awesome. The end of the service, you know, service came to a close. And then uh, I'm going to call him the French guy because I didn't get his name. But he didn't speak English. I didn't speak French. He He comes up to me really aggressively, like really fast, and he goes, pray pray. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, man, chill out, bro. Like, dang, I don't even know you. Like, chill. You know, in America, we're like that. We're just kind of like, my space, 
please don't get into my space. He was all up in my face, pray. And as I stepped back, he stepped forward. Like he was pursuing me. I'm like, dude, chill out, relax. And he's just like, pray, pray. And finally I understood. That's like, I think that was like one of the words he knew in English, pray. And then he says, oh no, not he says, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, he wants to pray for me. I'm like, and then how many of you guys are like me? You put your logic before your faith sometimes. I'm sitting there like, uh, we can't understand each other. How, like, how is this going to work out? And then you feel like really insecure and you're thinking everyone's looking at you, but nobody really cares about what you're doing, right? I'm all looking around like, this is embarrassing, but nobody's looking. You know, it's one of those situations. And so I'm sitting there like, okay, all right, I'm just going to do it. So he lays his hands on me and he's praying and he's just praying in French just really quickly. He's going for it. And I'm sitting there pretending like I understand. I'm like, yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, God. You know, and then what, what is yes in French? What, we, we, yeah, yes, yeah, you know. I'm just like, yes, okay, yes, Lord. And then he finishes his prayer, and then he goes, pray, pray. And I'm like, oh, he wants me to pray for him. And I'm still in my flesh. I'm kind of like, oh, God, okay. And I swear, I, the first words that came out of my mouth, I laid my hands, uh, hands on him, and I said, God, he probably is not going to understand a word that I'm saying, but, and then I just, I just went for it. I began to pray. I put my logic behind me and my faith before me. And I began to pray. I began to see uh, visions over him and his family. I began to pray for his family that I didn't even know he had. And I'm praying for him. And he began to tremble like this. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, and I felt the presence of God over me too. I was like, wow, what is happening? There was a language barrier, but we both knew whom we were praying to. Where there was division or a lack or a barrier god had unified me and this man it was an incredible incredible experience and so for me it's been really cool to be shaken up a bit you know and sometimes we get into the routine of showing up to the church that we love to go to and having an experience that's awesome but something happens in your faith and your perspective when you're shaken up a bit and you step into a different culture and environment and you just see how big the body of christ truly really is and so I had this moment where I was, I was, you know, well, I have these moments where I just imagine, now the Bible says that God is omnipresent, wherever three, two or three or more are gathered in his name, he's there. So I had this moment of just thinking like, what, is, what do you think God sees when he sees his church as a whole? He sees us here gathered at Centerpoint Church, gathered in his name. He sees the church down the street, Cornerstone, gathered in his name, Right? He sees the churches all across America gathered in his name, but he also sees that church in France. He sees that dusty old tent in Swaziland, Africa. He sees that forbidden gathering in China and in different places of the world where people don't have the privilege of gathering. He sees his church collectively as a whole. I imagine this moment. Imagine this with me. This moment where praise is lifted up. Now, I know there's different time zones, and some of you guys are going to try to do the math. Just push that aside for a second. But imagine this moment where simultaneous praise is lifted up to God. Different tongues, different tribes, different nations, different backgrounds, but a collective praise being lifted up to God. Imagine what that's like. My mind goes to this place of beautiful music and arrangements and instruments I've never even seen before. And I'm sitting there imagining what this can be like. And then I think, this is, this is what heaven's going to be like. I think some of us are going to be very surprised when we get to heaven. Some of us may be expecting a little Bethel and Hillsong, you know, and Elevation. I think we're going to get to heaven and go, wow, this place is diverse. There's a lot more going on. There's instruments I've never even seen before. I think some of us are going to be very surprised. So heaven is diverse. The church of God needs to be diverse. The church of God is diverse. 
I love how Jesus says, or actually, yeah, I love how Jesus says, he says, go and make disciples of every nation. Notice how he does not say, go and involve yourself in relationships and make disciples of people who look and think like you. You notice that? The Bible does not say that. It says, go and make disciples of every nation. Nation in the Greek is ethnos. Ethnos means ethnicity. Go and make disciples of every ethnicity. Isn't that amazing? So, we're talking about the beauty of, of being a diverse church and how we're all different, different preferences, different styles, different backgrounds. So some of you may be wondering, well, then how do we agree? Like, how do we come together then? If we're so different, how do we come together? Well, let's look to the scriptures, okay? Colossians chapter 3, verses 11, uh, 11 through 14 says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Let's say this, this uh, sentence together. Christ is all that matters. One more time. Let's say it. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in us all. You, can, you don't have to keep repeating it. If you want to, I'm not going to tell you not to read the word of God. Since God chose you to be a holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Can we throw the first part of this verse up there in this new life, that very first part for me, please? There we go. Okay. So what we're, what we're, um, what we're seeing right now is Paul is addressing, he's like, okay, I get it. We're all diverse. We all have different preferences. We all have different backgrounds and experiences. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know all of your guys' backgrounds and experiences, but I, I'm going to acknowledge that they exist. Okay. So he's saying, I get it. We're all different. And he's addressing like, okay, some of you are a part of the Jewish heritage and the Jewish culture. And then for those of you who are not Jewish, you are considered to be a Gentile, which is anyone who's not Jewish. And then you have, well, circumcised, uncircumcised. You have people who hold on very tightly to tradition and religious practices and people who are a little bit more loose on religious practices. Uh, you have, uh, I guess, <laughs> people who identified as being barbaric back then, I guess. I don't know. Or people who are identified as being uncivilized, I don't know, whatever it is, slave or free. So what, here's what he's saying. Yes, I get it. We're all different. But the thing that unites us, better yet, the person that unites us is Jesus. There can be no true unity without Jesus. We can try to be unified under, we could, I mean, we could be unified for the sake of being unified. We can gather ourselves under any movement if we wanted to. And we're seeing that a lot right now. We're finding unity in all kinds of different things. Well, this is what I believe in. This is the flag that I gather under. Here's the movement that I'm a part of. And we kind of thump our chest, too, and a little bit of pride about it, too. Like, this is what I believe in. And if, if we're gathering ourselves under anything that is not in alignment with Scripture, you know what the Bible calls these things? The pride of life. 1 John chapter 2 calls these things, he calls them little mini kingdoms. I identify as this. This is what I believe in. We stomp our feet on these things. These are the pride of life. And the Bible says that these things will fade away. But then the Bible continues to say, but the kingdom of heaven is forever. Right? There is no unity without Jesus. But here's the thing. Society says that there can be no unity without first acknowledging our differences. 
That's what we're hearing right now. There can be no unity. We can't possibly come together unless we first acknowledge our differences. But Jesus actually says, no, your unity must be in me. Therefore, your unity must come before your differences. These are the words of Jesus. This is what he's saying. And so I want to invite you just like I do. I do a self-assessment of myself, okay? So because trust me, I have some opinions on what's happening in the world today. I have some opinions, right? (laughs) I have some opinions too. We all have opinions on how things should be done, okay? And I get it. But I I like to do this self-assessment. And I want to invite you into this. Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's up to you. But for me, I want to invite you into this moment. So I acknowledge that I am a father. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I am a musician. I'm an American. I am a black man. But before all of these things, I am a son of God first. Before all of these things, I'm not trying to discredit these things or discredit culture or discredit the color of my skin. But I have to make sure that I understand that my identity is not in these things. It's in who I am as a son of God first. You know why? Because when you understand what your identity is in Jesus, then you are able to make good decisions. I am able to make good decisions as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, because of who I am in Jesus first. And I want to let you know that before your profession, before what you do in life, did you know that you are a cherished, loved son and daughter of the king first? Did you know that? That's your identity. This is who God has called you to be. He loves you. He loves you. For those of you who feel worthless, that you can't amount to anything, or you feel like you're just walking up this hill, or you're walking around in life going nowhere, God's like, no, 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 there's a place for you. I love you. We have to understand that our identity is in who God says that we are first. Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 says, There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All one in Christ Jesus. He is the source that binds us and unifies us together. So what does it mean to be one in Christ Jesus? What does that look like? Let's talk about that for a second, okay? So what does it look like to be one in Christ Jesus? So we could sit here all day and argue about different theologies and different parts of the Bible and is the rapture pre or post-tribulation and all these different stuff. And we could sit here for hours. And I'm not, I'm not going to discourage that because we should have good, healthy conversations about the scriptures, different opinions. We come together and we get to see God's intention. Like there's beauty in having these dialogues and conversations. However, we cannot be confused about who Jesus is. We have to come together upon a foundation. When Jesus was talking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he's having this conversation with Peter. And he asks uh, his disciples, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I believe that you are Christ, son of the living God. And then Jesus responds by saying, blessed are you, Peter, for the Father has revealed this knowledge to you. And then this next part, a lot of people believe that when he's saying, upon this rock, I will build my church, some people think he's talking about the the area. Some people think he's talking about Peter. But you know what I believe? I believe that Jesus is saying that upon that phrase that just came out of your mouth, that I am the son of God, I will build my church. Listen, if we're confused about who Jesus is, we're going to be confused about how the church is supposed to act. If we can't come to a decision or a, you know, a consensus of who Jesus is, what he came to do, what was accomplished, we're going to be confused as to why we're sitting here right now. 
We can't be confused about who Jesus is. We could talk about everything else. There's room for that. But we cannot be confused about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what was accomplished through him. So I want to talk about that for a second. Okay. So and if you agree with this at the end, say amen. Okay. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of God who came down to earth, fully man, fully God, not deprived of either, but the wholeness of both. Come on, somebody. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ Jesus. And he, by the power of his spirit, guides us, encourages us, corrects us, and leads us to a life of community with him. If you agree with that, say amen, church. What did he come to do? Jesus imparted his ministry here on the earth so that people may come to the Father through salvation. He took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross to free the world from the bondage of sin. He lived a blameless life but died a criminal's death. By the authority and power, he, Jesus Christ, conquered death and rose to new life. If you agree with that, let's say amen, church. Okay, cool. We're we're moving forward. Lastly, what was accomplished? Our sin separates us from God. But... Because of Christ's sacrifice, we are no longer bound by our sin that separates us from God. Instead, for those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved. Now, we be transformed by his grace are to go out and share the good news or the gospel. Come on. Or uh, to our uh, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, as well as to the ends of the earth. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. We, We can't be confused about who Jesus is, church. There's room to talk about everything else, but we can't be confused on the foundation in which the church was built. In which later he says in that verse, he says, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And he, I, love, I love how he says, and I will build it. Not us. <laughs> we, we gather in his presence, but he does all the work. He's the one who releases people from anxiety and depression. He's the one that is our redemption and our hope and our salvation. He's the one who does all the heavy lifting. We just participate with the Holy Spirit and what he's doing here on earth. So while we're united in Christ, we're here, those of us who are believers, we're united in Christ, Jesus. There will be division between the church and the world. This is the hard part to talk about. There will be division between the church and the world. Does that mean that we as Christians kind of go, oh, well, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, forget. No, 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 no. We still have work to do as believers. But we do have to acknowledge that the world may not be quite receptive to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus talks about denying ourselves. Uh, Mark chapter 9, he says, if you love me and wish to be my disciples, you will deny yourselves. How easy is is it for us to deny ourselves? It's very difficult. (laughs) But these are the teachings of Jesus. So I want to read this verse, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34. Jesus says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Dang, Jesus. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. What in the world are we going to do with this verse? This is a hard verse to read. Now, is Jesus saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to disrupt your entire family? That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that I am here to present to you something that is so incredible, but not everybody is going to be receptive to it. The gospel is for everyone, but not everybody will be inclined to receive it. Here's why. So Jesus is talking to, and you have to think about this, in his time and what was going on in the Jewish culture and heritage, okay, in that culture, tradition was strong, still is to this day. 
But the culture of the, the Jewish culture, very, very strong. The heritage, very, very strong. There's a way to get to God. Substitutionary atonement, 613 Levitical law, all these different practices. And the only way to the Father was by going through the priest and all these different things to get to God. And then Jesus steps on the scene and he goes, actually, no. <laughs> I'm the way to the Father now. I got this. Can you imagine the tension that that can bring to some of these households? Can you imagine like a, a wife or a son meeting Jesus and getting, you know, words of wisdom or getting healed by something and that person going back to the house, hey, dad, guess what? I met the Messiah. Blasphemy. Can you imagine the tension in the household? I was reading this passage and it said that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would cut through families like a knife because of the resistance to believe and partake in something like that in the Jewish heritage. It caused division. And I've even seen things, something similar happen in, in, in our time. I remember being a youth pastor. This was years ago. I remember this young boy, a ah, young boy. He was probably 15, 16, 17 years old. And I remember he used to come to our youth group every single week. And he was the one who would sit in the back, and later we would have conversations. He was actually caught up in some drugs and addictions, and he didn't have a very good, safe family environment at home. Uh, but there was one service where God got to his heart and changed him. I'm talking, he read the whole Bible within a month of being saved. Like, he was radically transformed. God touched him, and he literally became a new creation. It was a beautiful thing. That's why we gather here in church, to see people step into the calling God has for them, right? So I saw this take place. And uh, he was so on fire for God, he would read things in the Word of God, and he would go home and say, hey, God, uh, Mom and Dad, guess what? You know, Jesus said this in the Bible. Hey, guess what? Jesus said this in the Bible. And the parents got to the place where they're just kind of like, hey, you know what? We don't want to hear about that Jesus stuff. This is a phase for you anyway. It's going to die off. Who cares? We don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't want to hear about him. And they began to shut it down on him. The young boy still kept coming to church. But the resistance was there. The parents were not wanting to receive what the young boy had to say. Now, can God have worked out that situation in the future? I don't know by now. I haven't talked to him in a very long time. But I do acknowledge that the gospel is for everybody, but not everybody is going to receive it. So why, why is it that the gospel and the teachings and the ways of Jesus are so difficult to receive? You know why? Because being a Christian, it does look like something. Okay, right? It looks like something. Now, we can't earn our salvation. There's no hoops you can jump through to be saved and redeemed. God did that. Jesus did that on the cross. But being a follower of Christ, somebody needs to hear that, this today, it does look like something. Sanctification looks like something. Jesus teaches that our love must be our love for God must be unrivaled in our heart and must overmaster the instinct of self-preservation versus in, in the society right now, our love is more of a feeling and is based upon how we feel at any given moment. Jesus teaches that we must allow him to be the foundation of our life versus what we're hearing right now, our lives can be whatever we want it to be. Jesus teaches that we must embrace godly accountability community and discipleship versus we play by our own rules. Jesus teaches that we must live a life of daily surrender to the Lord versus no one should ever tell us what to do. It's our life. Do you see how this can cause tension? Again, he says in Mark, if you love me and you are my disciple, you would deny yourself. I remember this story that Jesus uh, is having this conversation with a rich young ruler. 
and this rich young ruler had all the possessions in the world. Matter of fact, though, he was a part of Jewish culture because he obeyed the law. They're having this exchange. And then he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they're having this exchange on the law. And he says, yep, I've done all that. I've crossed, I dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. But Jesus says something that breaks his heart. He says, I want you to give up everything you have and come and follow me. The Bible says that he walked away full of sorrow because he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to surrender. And I think maybe for a lot of us, it's difficult for us to get into unity because we're refusing to surrender. It's difficult to surrender. It's not easy to accept accountability. Having somebody checking up on you, hey, how's that thing going? How's that situation going? But accountability is a part of unity as well. These things are a part of us being unified as a body of believers. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. You will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to ask Michael to go ahead and come up on the keys for me, if he's back there somewhere. But we're talking about unity. I know for some of us, it can be very, very difficult. And for a lot of us, we maybe have some next steps to do in our faith. And I know a lot of you have heard me many times in this message right now, if you are a believer, or if you have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And maybe there are some of you here today who you're like, I haven't accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior yet. And so I want to make space for the Holy Spirit to speak into this moment right now. So I want to encourage, I mean, if you have to go and go out the doors and go get your kids, I understand. But this is a very important part of the service. This is where we just come into a moment in agreement with God. So I want to encourage you to lean into this moment. We're going to just have a moment together as a church. We're going to pray together. We're going to seek the Father's intention. And I think it's going to be a beautiful time. So please, I would encourage you, let's stay exactly where we are. Let's press into the Holy Spirit together and see what he wants to do. So let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're a believer in the room here today, meaning that you're, you know, it's not necessarily about being perfect, but if you acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, just begin to intercede and pray in this moment right now. If you want to do that out loud, if you want to do that quietly, but just begin to pray right now. Just intercede. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. I think there are some of us in this room who feel like we are out of reach of God's grace. Maybe, maybe you would say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what mistakes I've made in my life. And maybe at one point you gave your life to Jesus or maybe you prayed the prayer or, and you started walking on this life with Jesus. And then, you know, life kind of happens, right? Things start happening. You get hurt. Maybe trust was betrayed. Maybe a situation happened that you had no control over or Maybe you made some decisions that maybe you're not too proud of right now. And then maybe through these decisions or through these courses or these things that happen in your life, maybe you feel like you're out of touch with God's grace. Maybe you feel like when you, you have no idea what my life has been like. Maybe you feel like you've taken millions of steps away from God. But let me tell you something here today. God's grace and his power, when you feel like you've taken millions of steps away from him, this is how he works. The moment you turn towards him, he's right there. He's right there. He covers the distance. He covered it with his son. There's no striving to receive salvation. It's just receiving it. You don't have to strive for it. You just simply receive it. This is who he is. This is what he does. 
So for those of you who are here today and you would say, you know what, I feel like at one point I was walking with him and everything was great, but then this happened. And whatever this is, just picture it in your mind. This happened to me. This person hurt me. This person betrayed my trust. Or this shouldn't have happened, but it did. And therefore, I can't receive God's grace. What I want to do is I want to acknowledge that that happened, whatever it was, that happened. But I do want to dismiss the lie that you're out of reach with God's grace. That is not of the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit brings conviction and leads us to repentance. These are good words, church. I know we see these words, repentance and conviction, in a negative way, but these are beautiful, beautiful words. Why? Because these words are invitation words. Conviction and repentance are invitation words. Where to? To his heart. We can't be afraid of these words. If you're feeling a conviction right now, it's a good thing. Lean into that right now. If you're feeling like a conviction in your spirit right now, lean into it. Don't run away from it. But what we do want to refrain from is condemnation. God did not come to bring condemnation. Just like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he looked at her and says, I do not condemn you. Can you imagine Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who has every right to do whatever he wants, looking at someone who's caught in sin and saying, I don't condemn you. Think about that. If there's anybody who can condemn you, it is Jesus. But he said, no, I don't. I won't. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. Because I love you. This is his heart for you right now. You're not far away. He's closer than you think. <laughs> He's closer than you think. He's right here. So with every eye closed, every head bowed in this moment, I want to make sure that everyone feels completely safe to participate in this moment. But if you're here right now and you would, you'd say, you know what, I feel like I've been falling away from the Lord. I want to recommit my life to Jesus right now. Would you do something bold and raise your hand so I can see you and so our team can see you and come pray for you? This is a safe place. And I know there are quite a few of you. So no one's lifted their hands yet and it's okay, but I'm going to wait for a second because I think life change is about to happen. It's okay. You're in a safe place. I see your hand. Yep. I see your hand. Yep, yep. Courage is beginning to be built up in your heart right now. Go ahead and raise your hand. Here's why I'm asking you to raise your hand, because we want to be able to see you and partner with what God is doing in your life. We want to be able to physically see you and come and pray for you. So if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, right here in this moment, I want to encourage you to raise your hand. I'm not embarrassed to sit up here in silence. I'll do it all day. <laughs> There's a couple more of you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I'm looking up there. I can't really see up there in the stance. I feel like there are a couple more of you who feel like maybe I'm undeserving of God's grace, but God wants to dismiss that lie right now over your life. Oh, I see your hand. Yes, thank you, Jesus. God, you are so good. You're so good. This is why we're here, to see you, Jesus. There's nothing more important. You call the prodigal son home. You call the prodigal daughter home, and to you, Jesus, there's nothing more important. Everything else can wait. <laughs> Everything else can wait. Because we know that with just one touch of your love, we are forever changed. Everything else can wait. Hallelujah. Yes, God. What a beautiful moment. So I'm not going to ask you to pray out or anything, but I do want to pray over you. And maybe you can just agree with me uh, as, as I'm praying this over you. So Father God, we come before you. I lift up my brothers and sisters who in their heart feel like they have lost their way, but really you have never left them. 
That's the beautiful part of your grace. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You are always with us, God. Even in the moments where we feel like we failed or we missed the mark, you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are Elroy, the God who sees us. This is a part of who you are. And you are a God who is not inconsistent in your character. Malachi says that I am the Lord your God and I never change. That's something amazing that we can count on, is that you are who you say that you are. <laughs> so Jesus, we acknowledge right now, Lord, that we belong to you. Would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation, the joy of our first love with you, the joy of that first encounter where we said, you know what, God, I can't do life on my own. I need you. Would you restore? Even I know we don't get too much into feeling, but God, would you even restore that same feeling and emotion that that person had when we first encountered you? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Would you restore every bit of that first encounter that we had with you? Would you bring it back, bring it into our remembrance right now, that moment where we gave our life to you? And then would you completely just eradicate and, and fix and redeem that moment that caused us to feel like we went off track? Would you completely redeem the situation? I don't know everybody's story, but I know that God is doing a work. I know who he is. I know who our God is, and he loves you. So, God, we pray this over every single person who feels like they've lost their way in Jesus' name. I also want to pray for the, some of you here today. And I know I said many, many times, if you're a believer, if you're a believer here today, and maybe some of you are like, well, you know what? I don't know if I am. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, we need to create space for that right now. Every eye closed, every head is bowed. Safe place. I got to keep saying that. This is a safe place. We're in his presence. Nobody's here to judge you. Nobody is here to point fingers at you. You are gathered here right now amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. If you are here today and you have yet to give your life to Christ, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Yeah. If not, that means that everybody else is walking the straight, you know, walking on the path into life and everything is going somewhat good, but you know who your foundation is? But I know that's not true. I know there's a lot going on in our world right now. Sorry, I got to be blunt with you guys right now. I know that life is not looking like some of us wanted it to be right now. Can we acknowledge that? We don't have to come into church acting like we got it all together. That's not the ecclesia. That's not the church. We don't have to come in here with smiles on our faces. When someone asks us how we're doing, we're like, oh, everything is good. Some things are not going well right now. Can we be real? Some of us are hurting right now. Some of us feel hopeless right now. And you don't have to, you know, do anything in front of me right now because God knows what's going on in the room, but I at least want to provide a moment where we can respond and our team can see you and we can pray for you. So if you want to give your life to Jesus right now in this moment for the first time, go ahead and raise your hand right now, merely for the sake of us being able to pray with you. I get it. It could be scary to lift our hands in front of a bunch of people who were praying, have their eyes closed like I asked them to. <laughs> ah, I see your hand. Thank you. That moment was for you. So nobody look around. Nobody look around. Nobody look around. <laughs> that moment, you who just raised your hand, that moment was for you. That moment was just for you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. You guys know that Jesus would stop an entire service for one person? 
<laughs> he would disrupt the production, everything. Stop, turn off the lights, turn off everything, kill the music, just to grab the hold of one person's heart. So I'm going to pray right now um, for the gentleman who lifted his hand and for the people who maybe weren't bold enough to do it, but it's okay, no condemnation. But I'm going to pray a covering over all of us. And I want you to also engage in this prayer as well. So um, if you're here right now and you want to give your life to Jesus, uh, maybe you would just say something like, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you. You are my source, Lord. And all the attributes that come with you, love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness, self-control, all these things are a part of your character, and I need them in my life. And by stepping into your presence, I get to experience joy. I get to experience freedom. And so, God, maybe you would say, Lord, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I need you, Holy Spirit, to come into my heart. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I acknowledge that you are the King of kings. You are the Messiah, the one to come to take away the sins of the world. And I believe in you, Jesus. I confess that you are King of kings. I confess that you are Lord. And I believe it in my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just celebrate this moment for those who lifted their hands or didn't? It's okay. Let's celebrate. Why are we celebrating? Because the Bible says that the angels in heaven celebrate even over the salvation of one person. Come on, keep going. This is a beautiful moment. This is why we're here. This is why we gather. This is why we sing. This is why we worship. This is why we serve. Jesus made it simple. It once was complicated, 613 Levitical law, substitutionary atonement, all these different hurdles we had to jump through, and then Jesus stepped onto the scene and made it simple just to believe in him, just believe in him. So let's all stand to our feet right now. We're going to talk about who he is, and we're going to continue to worship. Amen, church? Come on, let's worship.